Good morning. Welcome back. It's good to have you this morning. I'm Scott Tidwell. I'm the online pastor here at First Baptist Wimberley and glad you're joining us this morning. Uh, hope last weekend was a great holiday weekend for you and uh, I hope you're really sliding into summer well. Uh, summer for a lot of people is the time to relax and spend time with the kids and and just get out and enjoy things and uh, that it's a great place to do that here in the hill country where we are and it's already 100 degrees so uh, we're sliding into summer easily because of the sweat that is on everything so uh, but I'm glad you're joining us today we're going to talk today a little bit about what it is to have a Christian worldview and you may be sitting there saying well what the heck is a worldview I mean I don't I don't even know that I have a worldview so let's start off, let's just define what a worldview is. Erdman, Erdman's dictionary says a worldview is a way of looking at reality. It's the basic assumptions that a people have about the world. A worldview is derived from people's experience of their social and physical environments and provides a more or less coherent way of thinking about the world. Uh, another way to say it is the worldview is the distinction between the self and one's environment, and those distinctions are fundamental to all worldviews. There are seven, seven different kinds of worldviews, and a Christian worldview is sort of a subset of one of those that we're going to talk about today. But how the self is understood is culturally specific. It goes on to say that in, the, in a majority of the people in the United States, worldview is defined by the self in individual terms. So a lot of the things that people think about, especially in Western culture, is life in relation to me. How do, how do the things around me, how does the world that revolves around me really relate to me? And that's a Western culture issue that is really not contained in cultures of most other places around the world or of most other cultures back through time. So how do we think about, in easy terms, what is a worldview? I think of a worldview as basically a pair of glasses that I put on and that's what I see the world around me based on. So I don't know if you wear glasses or not. I've worn glasses since I was in second grade. And for me to wear glasses, it enables me to be able to see clearly. Really, without glasses, I, I would be running into things. The, uh, when I was a little kid and in the second grade and we decided that I needed glasses, it's because I couldn't read a sign that was pretty close. And my dad took me to the eye doctor and the eye doctor asked my dad, does, does he bump into a lot of stuff? I mean, this kid's blind as a bat. So I got glasses and my dad said he felt just horrible. I stood out in the backyard forever and ever looking at the trees. I didn't know uh, that trees had leaves. I knew they were green up at the top, but I couldn't see the individual leaves. So glasses for me are a real important thing. But really in my glasses up here and around here on the sides and down here, my glasses don't reach that in my periphery, so in my peripheral vision, I'm, I'm really limited in what I can see. And sometimes that causes problems. In my peripheral vision up here above my head, I can't really see much above here, so there'll be times I'll 
hit a tree limb or something. Down here, especially if I'm looking forward and walking, but I'm, I can't see in my peripheral vision, I'll sometimes stumble. And that's a great analogy, really, to what a worldview is. A worldview is, is the glasses that we see the world through. So what happens when my glasses get dirty? Or what happens when my glasses get scratched? Or um, what would happen if I were painting something and were to get paint on part of my lenses? Well, I would develop a spot there then where I couldn't see. And sometimes we let that happen with our worldview. We get a spot that we really can't see through. In thinking of a, of a worldview for me, in, in thinking of the things that I believe, it's sometimes a lot easier for me to think about the things that go on in the people around me, but sometimes it's very difficult for me to think about the things that are going on in me. Uh, it's much easier for me to comment on one of my friends about something they're doing wrong. It's a whole lot harder for me to self-examine and think about something I'm doing wrong. So a worldview is what you think about the world around you. And it's based on a lot of things, your upbringing, your parents, your education, your life experiences, uh, how, how people have treated you. In the Western culture, we see things through a Western culture lens. We think of the whole world being uh, in, in line with how we understand things based on how we've ra been raised and grown up in the Western world. And that really is okay for us in America, but it doesn't apply sometimes in other parts of the world. So, especially in reading the Bible, when we're reading the Bible and we try to impose kind of our Western viewpoint on the Bible, it doesn't always translate back to what was going on in the time and place when the scripture was written. So sometimes we get a real distorted view of what a scripture will mean because we're reading it based on our current reality, but that's not sometimes the true reality. So today we're going to talk about having a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. What are the things about me, the things that I believe, the traits that I exhibit, the words that come out of my mouth. The words that come out of my mouth are a representation of the things that I hold in my heart. So how would you know? How would you know that I have a Christian worldview? So we're going to talk about that today and see maybe if we need to make some little adjustments and get our worldview kind of really back in line with what the Bible says it ought to be. So Join me. We're going to go on this adventure together. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you for the people that are watching today. Uh, I say it each week, God, but thank you for all of them. Uh, we hope that the summer finds them well, and we hope that uh, they are enjoying the online messages, and we hope that they are engaging themselves in their communities and inviting their friends where, it, where it's appropriate to watch these messages. God, we just say thank you tonight. Thank you that uh, you bless us. Thank you that you are merciful to us. Thank you that you show us grace. I know personally, God, I need a lot of grace most of the time. So just thank you for being God. Thank you for being there for us. And especially, 
thank you for your son Jesus and what he means to us. And we pray all this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. So let's dive in. We're still in uh, 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter 3 this week, verses 8 through 12. So let's dive into that scripture passage and see what Peter had for the audience that he was writing to. And remember that the audience is critical. Peter was writing to a group of Christian believers that were living in Roman territory. And Peter was trying to remind them sometimes how they ought to live. And in today's version, in today's verses, Peter's talking about not only how they lived, but how people around them observed them living. And so Peter's going to give some advice about how their life ought to be so that the people around that are not believers could have an opportunity maybe to adjust and come to know Jesus based on the life examples of the people that Peter was writing to. So 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but, on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. So when we're thinking about worldview and we're thinking about the things we ought to exhibit, sometimes it's, it's helpful to think about that you would describe that as someone's character, maybe. What character do they exhibit? Character is a moral strength. Having a good character is a good, strong thing that God wants us to have. In Romans 5, 3 through 4, it says it this way. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. So if we can exhibit things in our character, if we can show people the love of Christ, really sometimes even without speaking words about it, then we can relay the hope that we have in Jesus to those around us and perhaps win them to be believers, to have the hearts of believers as God works on their heart. So there are some things, there are some characters that characteristics that believers exhibit that really um, are good characteristics. They are some characteristics that people that are not believers would obviously exhibit. But really when we consider them as a whole, it, it forms a good solid picture of what a believer's worldview would be. The first thing is believers should be compassionate. We need to be people who show compassion to people, especially in times of trouble. Colossians 3.12 Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then going back to our passage in 1 Peter 3, back to verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. 
So believers should have as one of their characteristics a compassionate heart. When we see someone in trouble or we see someone in need, we should deal with them with a compassionate spirit. Uh, doesn't mean that you know we just give in and do whatever anybody needs, but there, there will be times that God will put people in your path as a believer that, that need help. People that need help will come across your way, and God wants us to compassionately help those people, treat them with compassion and care and love. Another character trait that a believer would have is believers should be humble. In 1 Peter 5.5, a verse we'll see in a few weeks, but it, it also applies today, it says this, In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So in our dealings with the people around us, and especially in our dealings with each other as Christians, we forget this sometimes in the church, we need to be humble toward each other. Being humble is me forgetting about my needs and putting the needs of someone else above mine. It's, it's a, an act of humility and humbleness when I consider someone else more important than I consider myself. That's clearly uh, not what our culture around us teaches us. Uh, in today's culture, we're, we most people think about, well, this is a great thing, but what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? And to be humble, you think about not what I would get out of this, but how can I use this to exhibit Jesus' love toward another person? So be humble. Another thing that believers should be is joyful. Uh, you should have the joy of Christ in your heart. You have a reward stored up for you that non-believers don't have. And you should be joyful about that. In your dealing with people compassionately and in your dealing with people with a humble spirit, that should bring a joy to your heart that you are treating people the way that Jesus treated people. You are patterning your life after the life of Jesus. And that should bring you great joy in your heart. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice and be joyful in Jesus. You have the Savior of the world indwelling inside you and assisted in you by the Holy Spirit of God. Be joyful about that. That should bring you great comfort. And when you have that joy in you, that joy will bubble out of you. And people will see that joy in the world. The next thing is believers should be loving. We should be able to treat people around us with a loving spirit. Doesn't mean we have to agree with everything. Doesn't mean that we have to be doormats if something's going on. But it means that in all of our dealings, even in dealings where we disagree with people, we can be loving in our disagreement. Just because someone disagrees with me does not make them my enemy. Uh, that's kind of what our culture today seems to think. Someone can disagree with me, and I can listen to their position without having a bad spirit toward them. Uh, sometimes I learn things when I listen to people. Uh, sometimes it's hard to make myself listen, but if I'll listen, usually I find that I 
have a lot more common ground with someone that I than I would have thought going in. So we want to be loving. In 1 John 4, 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So having a loving spirit is exhibiting one of the true characteristics of Jesus, the characteristic of Jesus' love to other people. Believers should be content. And this one is, is hard uh, for me. This is something I probably struggle with. I, I struggle with circumstances that I think, well, I, you know, I'm not really happy in this, this environment or with this thing that's going on. But Paul said it like this in his letter to the Philippians. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Really? Paul could find contentment in any circumstance in which he found himself. You know, a lot of Paul's writings, the New Testament writings that are from Paul, he wrote when he was in jail. So if Paul can find contentment when he is imprisoned or shackled or chained, sometimes chained to other people, then maybe I can find contentment in my life and be thankful for the blessings that God has given me. So contentment, be content in the circumstances you find yourself in. Believers should be holy. Believers should exhibit an awe and a reverence for God. And believers should worship and give God praise and glory for the great things that go on around them. Believers should live a life patterned after the life of Jesus, that kind of holy lifestyle that God calls us to live. The next one is believers are to be poor in spirit, and that's misunderstood a lot. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Uh, take the word poor out, insert the, insert the word humble, and it will mean more. Believers are to be humble in spirit. Matthew 5.3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. To be poor in spirit is for me to recognize that in my relationship with God, I have nothing really that God needs from me. God, I don't have any possessions that don't belong to God. And in my sinful nature, God does not, it is not necessary to God's function for me to be part of the picture. God is God, and God loves me, and God wants me to be part of what he has for me. The Holy Spirit woos us to God uh, through our longings, but uh, we need to be poor in spirit. We need to recognize that uh, we are sinful creatures, and what God has is the best blessing for us. Believers should be meek. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Believers are to be merciful in our dealings with, with people around us. We need to show the grace and mercy that God shows us. As a sinner, God gives me grace and mercy every day. And how bad it would be for me to be in a situation with someone else, and I can't show them mercy in a situation. God has no reason to give me mercy except a free, open gift from him. 
I need to exhibit that same gift of mercy to everyone I encounter. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And lastly, believers should be pure in heart. We need to, you need to guard your heart. The things that, are, that go into your heart and the things that indwell and live and percolate around in your heart, a lot of times will come out through your mouth. And so we need to guard our hearts and keep our hearts pure. Don't let the things and the, uh, the wants and desires of the flesh consume us and get in our hearts. Because if they do, they will cause a distraction or a disruption in how we should be acting to show that we have the heart of Jesus. Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And in 2 Timothy 2.22, Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. God wants us to focus our minds on Jesus. Don't get distracted by the things of the world. Don't get distracted by the things of the flesh. Don't get distracted by the things that Satan puts in your path. Keep your heart pure to God. That's, in, that's why it's important to have a daily God time in the morning. Get your, get your mind focused in on God for the day. And in everything that happens to you and everything you do during the day, think about it from God's standpoint. Uh, think about if you encounter someone, not how I would want to treat them, how would Jesus treat them? And when I can pattern my life that way, things will come around a whole lot better for me because every day my heart can become more and more pure. So in considering these things today, I guess my final question for you is this. How are your glasses? When you put on the glasses in the morning of your worldview, how are your glasses? Are they scratched? Are they dirty? Do they have blind spots on them? Maybe, just maybe, uh, there are times when I've certainly needed this, but just maybe it's time for a new pair of glasses. Maybe it's time to take those old defective glasses off and lay them down and put on a new pair of glasses, thinking about living a life based on a concern and an attention and a desire to want to live a life patterned after the life Jesus lived. I won't ever get there. I'll never be able to live a life like Jesus did without sin in it. But I can try every day to do good things today and try to stay on track for today. And you know what? Once you focus on just being on track today, you'll put a lot of today's together that will overcome the yesterdays and will make the tomorrows turn out a whole lot better. If you need a new set of glasses this week, put a new set of glasses on. Use the scripture. Use God's word to help focus you in. I hope this helps this week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for what you tell us in your word. God, thank you for speaking to the people today. God, they needed to hear from you. I hope they did, that what I have to say is usually just noise and clamor. God, thank you for the words you gave me today. God, just remind us each and every day that we need to focus 
on a life lived like the life Jesus lived. And if we can do that, the yesterdays will be far behind us, the todays will be a whole lot better, and tomorrow will be very bright indeed. So God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thanks for forgiving us when we stumble and fall. God, when we, when we have those things that hit us in the head or things we stumble over because we can't see, God, thank you for being there to pick us up. God, thank you especially for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.